we are nearing the end of our study in the book of Genesis. Um, going way back, we saw creation in chapter 1, all the way to the middle of chapter number 2, or the end of chapter 2. And we saw the curse in chapter number 3, all the way to the middle of chapter number 4. Then the catastrophe, we talked about the flood in chapter 4, all the way to the end of chapter number 9. Then the coalition in chapter 10 to the uh, end of chapter number 11 with Babel and how the Lord dispersed people. Then we started the chosen, and uh, we looked at Abraham, the progenitor, Isaac, the pilgrim, Jacob, the propagator, and Joseph, the provider. That leads us to chapter 47 and verse number 27, and where we start our last point, last main heading in the book of Genesis, which we just put as the conclusion. And uh, from here to the end of the book, in chapter 50 and verse 26. Well, let's start reading in chapter number 47. And we're going to read verse number 27, and we'll just read to the end of the chapter. And we'll pray and uh, see where the Lord leads us tonight. Genesis 47, verse number 27 says, And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt and in the country of Goshen. And they had possessions therein and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years. So the whole age of Jacob was a hundred forty and seven years. And the time drew nigh that Israel must die. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal gently and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. And I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, Swear unto me. And he swear unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. Let's pray. God, thank you, Lord, for this day. And Lord, I thank you for the service you gave us this morning, our Sunday school time. Thank you for our time of worship uh, this evening. And, and be it in song, and the choir, and our giving, and every aspect of this service. Lord, I pray you are honored. And Father, I pray that, Lord, you just uh, bless now the reading and the preaching of your word. Lord, again, as already been mentioned, teach us something t- tonight. Give us a soft heart. And Father, I pray that we would receive, Lord, your instruction, just as the Holy Spirit would have us to receive it. And in Christ's name I pray, amen. Here in chapter number 47, the conclusion. And what we're going to have here, basically two points under this, which will take us to the end of the book. We'll study first the death of Jacob, and uh, then we'll study the death of Joseph. So let's start with the death of Jacob here in chapter number 47. And uh, the first thing I'd like you to see is Jacob's foreknowledge. Now, we'll never cover all of this tonight, but Jacob's foreknowledge starts here in verse 27, all the way to chapter 49 in verse number 27. But uh, what we're going to read is Jacob, uh, he shares some serious prophecy. Matter of fact, uh, I remember, you know, I... I, I wish now I could remember every sermon that my grandfather ever preached, and uh, uh, I would love that. Uh, but, uh, uh, but for whatever reason, my grandpa did a series uh, on Jacob's prophecy for his sons. And I wish I had all that information now. Uh, but, uh, but I just remember being intrigued. Every night he went through one of the sons of Jacob and what he said, and then worked it all throughout history to the present and uh, I just, it was fascinating, the study that he did. I wish I had those notes, uh, but uh, well, we'll do our best. But uh, that Jacob gives some uh, prophecy here and uh, all through what's going to be the 12 tribes and instruction and direction and exactly what's going to happen. And, and it happened just as he said. Um, we, 
he has each son come and stand before him. And uh, Jacob will lay his hands upon them and prophesy and bless them in, in each their own way. Matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter number 11, the, uh, the, we call it the Hall of Faith chapter, uh, but uh, Jacob is in Hebrews chapter number 11, and what he is in Hebrews 11, 4 and verse 21 is the fact that he leaned upon a staff and he blessed his children. And uh, this time that we're reading about was something of so much faith um, and, and the Spirit of God working through Jacob that it's recorded in Hebrews chapter number 11. So this is a special time, not only in Jacob's life, but in Israel's history. Uh, this is a special time. I believe the Spirit of God worked in Jacob's life like very few times in the, his life. There's not a lot of spiritual highlights in Jacob's life, sadly, because he lived under the bondage of grief. And uh, because of that, he was blinded to what the Spirit of God really wanted to do. Uh, so there's not a lot of great things, but here the Spirit of God's in control. You say, how do you know the Spirit of God's in control of all this? Because everything that was prophesied is exactly what happened. And uh, that's the law of prophecy in the Old Testament. God gave it to us. If someone prophesies and it's exactly what happens, then it's of God. If it's not, it wasn't of God. It's pretty much that simple. And uh, so Jacob then shares all these things and how eternity is going to be affected. It's really amazing. Uh, The direct prophecy here, some commentators say, is only to be compared with the prophecy in Daniel chapter number 11. I mean, the the exactness and the, the distinguishing marks and how everything happened just as Jacob prophesied is something truly to marvel at. But Jacob's foreknowledge, let's get uh, started in this. First of all, he, uh, first of all, we'll talk about the chosen favorite in chapter 47, verse 27, all the way to chapter 48 and verse 22. And what I mean by that is um, the very first person that Jacob deals with is Joseph. And uh, I say his favorite because we all know that was a flaw in Jacob's life, we shouldn't have favorites, parents. And, uh, and that caused a whole lot of problems in their family. Uh, but he first brings in Joseph. And uh, in, in chapter number 47, which we read, he's dying. And, uh, and so he knows that. So he calls for Joseph to come in first. And the first thing we want to study is Jacob's burial. Jacob's burial. I know I just gave you a lot of introduction, a lot of points. We haven't even got to a verse yet. But here we go. All right, Jacob knows, he, and he wants to set up his uh, final arrangements, and so he brings in Joseph to do that. In verse 27 and 28, I want you to see Jacob's home. It says, And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions therein, and grew and multiplied exceedingly. I'm going to pause for a second. This is the first mention in the Bible of Israel as a nation. And um, from not say from here on out, because Jacob was Israel. But he not only speaking about Jacob here, our pronouns give that away, right? Thank you, Mom, for good grammar studies, right? Probably just said that sentence terribly. Uh, but, and Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions therein. So we're talking for the first time, now this people, all of Jacob's family, they're all being known as Israel now. Uh, but uh, he lived here 17 years in Egypt. He was blessed. He had great opportunities. Let's just uh, be very blunt. Jacob could have done pretty much whatever he wanted to within the bounds of law because Joseph was watching over him. He could have gone anywhere he wanted to. 
been involved in whatever he wanted to. Probably could have asked for riches and more nourishment and bigger houses and probably would have got it. Because his son was next to Pharaoh, the most mighty in the land. He had everything literally at his fingertips, yet that wasn't what he was living for. And the verse says there, he lived in the land of Goshen and had possessions therein and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the whole age of Jacob was 147 years. So he's 147 years old. And he knows his time is nearing an end. So while he mentions here where he's living in Goshen and he talks about all that he had and all that he that, uh, and how the family grew. And the family grew. I mean, in the next years, it's amazing. By the time the exodus takes place, some people estimate up to 3 million people. Uh, that's probably the high end, but uh, a lot of people left Egypt, all right? And, uh, but, uh, but their family grew. But Jacob's home there in Goshen all these times. But Jacob's heart was not in Egypt. Verses 29 to verse number 31. He had been in Egypt 17 years. Listen to my statement. He had been in Egypt 17 years, but Egypt was not in him. He had been in Egypt 17 years, but Egypt was not in him. It says, And the time drew nigh to Israel must die, and he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, just as Abraham's servant Eleazar did. It was a sign of the covenant promise, and a promise that uh, would not be broken, just as God would not break his promise with Israel. And he said, Bury me, bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt, but I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do. And he said, Swear to me, and he did swear. And so you see Jacob's heart here. He had been in Egypt all these years, but there was still a separation. This wasn't his home. That's really important, uh, and I, I really, I just praise the Lord. You know, I, I really wasn't settled on our theme until November or so. God had to start studying Genesis months ago, but it seems a, re, a repeated teaching in these last few chapters of Genesis as we enter this new year with our new theme, that God has always desired a separation between his people and the people of the world. And by that, I do not mean a separation like an isolation. I do not mean that we can't talk to people and we can't interact with people. Matter of fact, just the opposite. God wants us to build relationships with people. He wants us to be a witness to people. He wants us to point people to the Christ. Uh, but we should not be taking on their lifestyle. We should not be taking on their philosophies. We should not be taking on their uh, uh, attitude towards things. And, and our, quite frankly, our life should be different. The Bible says uh, to be holy, for I am holy. The Bible says, wherefore, come out from among them and be separate. Our life should be different than this world's. When they follow us, they should mark a difference. It has always been that way. And it should always be that way today. So you see Jacob's home and Jacob's heart. That's Jacob's burial. Then we jump right into chapter number 48. And we see Jacob's bedside. And uh, we're going to go quick as we can here. Jacob's bedside. The first thing I want you to see is a, a knock on the door. That's how he outlined it in verse 1 and 2. Came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. Joseph was busy doing what he does the second in command of all Egypt, but one day there was a knock on the door. And they said, your father's sick. 
I don't know what Joseph was doing, but he dropped what he was doing. And he ran to the bedside of his father. You can see in verse number one that he takes his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. They were the ones born in Egypt. Their mother was an Egyptian. And uh, he takes them with him. Verse two, and one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and set upon the bed. You see a knock at the door. When that knock took place, it, it got Joseph's attention. He stopped what he was doing and went there. But then you see in verse number two, Jacob's appearance. When he finds out that Joseph's coming, he sits up. He uh, strengthened himself. He, uh, this is a, Jacob knows this is a, a very precious time. And what's about to take place, this is kind of Jacob's last thing he's going to do. And what he does, Hebrews 11 says, that this was faith. And he sits up. And you see his appearance, he strengthens himself. The knock at the door. But then you see this knowledge is directed. In verse number 3 and 4, you see he talks about the past. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz, and in the land of Canaan, or sorry, in the land of Canaan, and blessed me, and said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, and I will make of thee a multitude of people, and I will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. He talks about the past, how that God would, had met with him. And he says, now, Joseph, he said, God met with me in the land of Canaan, and God made me these promises that he's going to bless me and multiply uh, 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 my family and, and, and will make a multitude of people, and this land will be our land. Joseph, this promise of God is still true. And again, as we said this morning, every promise of God is still true. And God, God he, Jacob reminds Joseph of this promise that has been made. And he tells him about the past. I want to stop and, and make this point too real quick. That God in the word of God, and, and that's all we have recorded. And I'm, but in the word of God, God spoke and made this promise to Jacob twice. And what's interesting is this, that both times that God made this promise to him was in a time of great disaster, fear. The first time that he made this promise was when he was fleeing from Esau. And Esau said, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Next time I see you. And so Jacob flees. You remember he stops there at Bethel. And he has that vision. And I believe that's where Jacob gets saved. From there on out he has a relationship with God. His life changed. But it was there after Esau said, I'm going to kill you. He has to leave his family. His family's divided and there's all these issues. And, and uh, he doesn't know if he's ever going to go home again. Uh, all these issues. He's, he's scared. He's frightened. He's going somewhere he's never been. His whole world is being turned upside down. And it's then that God said, Jacob, I am going to bless you. And I'm going to multiply your seed and this land will be yours. The only other time that God did this is after... Levi and Simeon went into Shechem and slew the entire city. 
And Jacob said, you've made our name a reproach and the whole, whole Canaan land is going to turn against us and everyone will be out to seek our lives. And God met with him and said, Jacob, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And this land will be yours. Sometimes, and the Lord knows when, when our world gets turned upside down, and it does. I told my Sunday school class this morning, we are one event from our whole world being turned upside down. Most of us have been there. I told them this morning, I've been sitting in my living room, just enjoying an evening, and all of a sudden, within five minutes, everything I knew was turned upside down. That's what happens in this sin-cursed world. But believer, whether it's a disaster, whether your nation is turned upside down, and it is, whether your family's flipped upside down, whether there's heartache, whether there's death, whether there's sorrow, whether there's threatenings, all these things, God's promises are still true. And what that means is even though your world gets turned upside down, you can still trust God. And God will lead you through these things and will, as only God can do, work all things together for his good, if we'll allow him. And so Jacob received these promises. He talks about the past, but then he talks about the present in verse 5 and 6. It says, And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. He's talking to Joseph here. He said, well, they were with him. I'm jumping ahead. Jacob hadn't seen the two boys. Whether it's an issue with his vision, we, we know he became dim in his eyes. Whether it's the fact they were standing maybe behind Joseph or in a corner somewhere or just outside the room, I don't know. But he hadn't seen him. He's talking to Joseph and he said, Now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt, before I came unto thee in Egypt are mine, as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And thy issue, which thou begettest after them, shall be thine, and shall be called after the name of their brethren in their inheritance. Say, so what happened? In verse 5 and 6, quite simply this, Jacob adopts Ephraim and Manasseh. He said, those two, Joseph, are now mine. He said, I'm receiving them, and I look at them just as I do Reuben and Simeon. He receives them, and they become his children. You see, what's Jacob doing? I'm about to say it, but uh, one last thing he's going to do for Rachel is he's going to give a double portion to Joseph. And um, there's a reason for that, because some of the other boys... God had different plans for. But you see Jacob's home, I'm sorry, Jacob's burial and Jacob's bedside. Verse number seven, Jacob's bereavement. Again, still dealing with the loss of Rachel. And as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way. By the way, that phrase died by me means in his arms. 
When yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath, and I buried her there in the way of Ephrath, the same as Bethlehem. He looks back at one of his greatest hurts, the loss of Rachel. It was still in his heart. So as a last tribute to her, he adopts these two sons of Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh. You see Jacob's bereavement. Stay with me. Then you see Jacob's blindness in verses 8 to 12. And Israel, and as Jacob, beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? So obviously they were there. He had just talked about them, but now he notices them. Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. Uh, they were. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. So you see his blindness. You see his realization. I'm just going to throw these points at you. His realization in verse number 8, he goes, Whoa, who are these? He hadn't seen them. His eyes are dim, and all of a sudden, I don't know whether they step forward or maybe the light turned a different direction, but he sees the two boys. His realization, then you see his request in verse 9 and 10. We've already read it. Uh, he says, who are these? And uh, he says, bring them to me. Then you see his rejoicing in verse number 11. And Israel said to Joseph, I had thought, I had not thought to see thy face, and lo, God has showed me also thy seed. He said, I thought I was going to die and never see you again, Joseph. But now not only do I see you, but I see your two sons. God is good, amen. Uh, and, and by the way, and we go back to this morning, and sometimes we just get all overwhelmed and we think, oh, life is over, life is doomed. Jacob lived that way for years. And look at me, they were wasted years. Because Joseph was alive. He really thought he'd never see him again. But what he didn't know is God had a plan. And let me tell you something. I go back again. I'm trying not to do my Sunday school lesson. But no matter what happens in our life, God is the final authority in everything that is said and done. And no matter what happens in our life, you can trust the Lord. Even if your world's upside down, you can still say, but God... Nothing surprised you. I give this situation to you. You lead me through it and use it for your good. And he will. And no matter what the situation is, he will. And so Jacob had wasted all these years. I only say it, don't waste your life. Mourning over things that are out of your control. Instead, say, God, I trust you. And there are some in this auditorium, you need to do that tonight. You need to, before you leave this place, say, God, I trust you. And I know I don't understand a lot of things. I know my life's turned upside down, but I am going to trust you. And what that means is this, everything I know to do that's right, I'm going to do. Amen. Everything I know is right, I'm going to follow that. And Lord, you help me, and I trust that you're going to take the situation. You say, but it's impossible. God can never. That's what Jacob said too. I'm going to go to my grave weeping and mourning. That's what he said. And he wasted so much of his life. So trust the Lord. You see his rejoicing now in verse number 11. And then Jacob's reverence in verse number 12. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees and he bowed, him and bowed himself with his face to the earth. Joseph brings his children and they, they kneel down before Jacob and show him reverence so you see Jacob's blindness then we see Jacob's blessing in verse 13 to 16 Jacob's blessing and Joseph took them both Ephraim in his right 
uh, Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. So he says, I'm going to bless them. And so he brings them, and Joseph positions them. So this is my right hand. So Joseph put Manasseh right here. And he put Ephraim right there so that Jacob would put his right hand upon Manasseh being the firstborn and his left hand upon Ephraim being the secondborn and give the blessing. And of course, the more blessing always goes to the firstborn. But when he brought them up, and even though Joseph placed them in that position, Jacob did one of these. And when he did, Joseph said, no, 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 not so. Stop that. Probably thought, well, he can't see. Maybe he's losing it a little bit. Not so. And Jacob said, I know what I'm doing. So, I said it, now let's read it, right? And so you see Jacob's blessing. You see a spirit-led act in verse number 13 and 14. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly. Manasseh was the firstborn. He knew what he was doing. So you see a spirit-led act, and then you see a spiritual address in verse 15 and 16. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be, be, uh, let my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. He, sends, he gives this blessing upon the two boys' life. I'm not going to speak long on it, but in verse 15 and 16, the blessing provided, it, it, the blessing consisted of God's provision and God's protection and God's prosperity. Matter of fact, it became a Jewish custom for years and years and still today to those that are Orthodox Jews that they'll take their children before they die. And uh, Asa, Come here quick. And uh, they'll literally take their children before they pass away. Come on up here, man. And, uh, and they'll take them, and they'll take their hands on both sides of their cheek, all right? And they'll kiss them on the cheek, which I'm not going to do to you, right? And they'll kiss them on the cheek, and then they'll say this blessing. May my God be your God. May he protect you. May he provide for you. May he be everything. May our name carry on with God's blessing upon its life. And they still will do that to this day. This blessing was placed upon him. Now, as the firstborn, you can be seated. The firstborn, the thought would be, Joseph thought, well, that should get the most. And you see Jacob's behavior will go on in verse 17 to 20. You see an objection. This is where Joseph gets all a little upset. Verse 17 and 18. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head and to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. So you see an objection. He goes, Dad, no. You got it backwards. But you see his obstinance in verse 19 and 20. His father refused and said this. I know it, my son. I know it. He also shall become a people and he also shall be great. But truly, 
his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. He gives his blessing, but he gives a greater blessing upon Ephraim. But understand this, both of them were greatly blessed. If you ever want to glance, not now because we're preaching, but in the back of your Bible when you look at the 12 tribes, all right, uh, Manasseh's got a huge plot of land, all right? And uh, Ephraim would become so powerful that, I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, we preached out of Jeremiah, and uh, the entire northern kingdom was called Ephraim. They just became known as Ephraim because that is the tribe that just rose to power. And literally, they epitomized all the northern tribes. They became great and powerful but he said, he said, Joseph, I know what I'm doing. And if anyone knew what it was for the younger to get the blessing over the firstborn, it was Jacob. That's a kind of a Bible joke, but you should understand that. All right, all right. So Jacob's behavior, then you see Jacob's belief. Verse 21 and 22, And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die. But God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. He says there, he says, now, son, he said, I'm going to die. You're going to bury me back in our land. The land of Canaan is God's promise to us. And it's going to need to be conquered. He refers to here about the Amorite and the land will be taken out of the hand of the Amorite with sword and bow there's going to be battles son but God's going to give you the victory this was prophecy the Amorites they really weren't on the scene that much yet but by the time Israel would enter Canaan land they would be there was no battle with sword and bow until you get to the book of Exodus. But this was prophecy. And so Jacob gives this blessing upon his son Joseph. Specifically Ephraim and Manasseh. He said, well, every tribe got... Understand this, there is no tribe of Joseph. Instead, he got a double with both of his sons. Some of his other sons, God would not allow a blessing in that way. And a lot of it, and we'll pick up here next week, it starts with Reuben, just a little preview next week. Reuben was the firstborn. And Reuben should have got the most and the best. But remember this as we get into next week. Even hidden sins. And sins you think you get away with. Will one day. Be brought to light. Reuben had thought. And really there's a short passage of scripture in Genesis 35. Where Reuben commits a terrible sin. Nothing seemingly happens. But be sure your sin will find you out. And it did. There's a little glimpse into what we're going to study next week. I believe 
You can study this. It might be something for you fun to study this week. That in the prophecy of all of his sons, now when Reuben starts to, when he comes in first, that you not only see what God's going to do in their individual lives, but it also is a, is a prophecy of what is to come for Israel. First, there's Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. Reuben being the firstborn, Simeon, he's a mess. Carnal. Levi was a mess, but then Levi gets restored. And he becomes, the tribe of Levi is what? The priest. And I believe those three represent Israel's history from the time they enter Canaan land until the time of Christ. What they should have been, their great failure, but then restoration. Then he'll give the prophecy of Judah. And from the tribe of Judah comes the Savior, the Lion of Judah. Amen? So Christ. Then he'll give the prophecy of Zebulun, Issachar. And I believe when we study them, you'll see the dispersal and the time of the Gentiles. And then we'll study Dan. Dan will be a picture, and study it this week if you want to, of the Antichrist. Then there'll be Gad and Asher and Naphtali, which will be those last days, kind of where we live now, and entering into the tribulation. And then he'll swing all the way back to Joseph and Benjamin and their honored position as a picture of the second coming of Christ when he will rule and reign. I encourage you to maybe study that, read through that, all right? And we're not going to focus on that. We'll focus on their individual families. But it is interesting Say, why is that really important? Look at me in the den. God has never lost control. God always has a plan. And God's will shall be done. And even though you look at some of these guys' life and what Israel goes through, and you think, boy, I bet that just totally uh, threw God off. Now, God knows. And despite man, he will work his perfect will. And whatever your situation is, however your life's been turned upside down, God's not lost control. You may need to come tonight and say, God, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to trust you. That requires faith and that requires surrender. But I've never met anyone that has given everything to the Lord and done everything they can for the Lord to the best of their ability that ever regretted it. God is faithful.